With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hey. Hey. What up? How you living? How you doing? How you feeling? How you moving? Uh, the L-E-F-K-O-E man with the sharpest man in football, Warren Sharp. Uh, he is down there in his wonderful lair surrounded by televisions. Um, and we are ready to get you for week six. We are going to take you to Sharp School. We're going to talk about Warren's beautiful baby, EDSR, early down success rate. We have not dove into that this year. We're going to talk about why Kyle Shanahan deserves all the love in the world. How do you bet on a team that you've already lost on three weeks in a row? We're going to spotlight the biggest games of the week, including Kansas City and Houston. Deshaun Watson and Patrick Mahomes will be great. And some some line changes, and we'll make our picks for the Super Contest. Uh, Warren? How busy are you right now as we enter week six? The teams you're working with, uh, all the other stuff you're doing with sharpfootballanalysis.com. What's your flow like right now, man? How's it feeling? The flow is in overdrive. It's it's the best time of the year. I can't can't lie. I do love the time of the year where we get into like the Thanksgiving time frame and there's more football games on that week, and you know relatives are around. I I have to ignore them, unfortunately. <laughs> for them. But uh, it's still fun to have lots of food all around you while you're watching football. And and, and but it's we're we're in prime time mode uh, right now, and I think we've got great opportunities to fade some of the public reaction to these yeah. games. And I think we've got an interesting card to discuss. A lot of good games this weekend. You did tell me that you like this card a lot more than last week's card. Uh, I'm curious. I know earlier in the year when it comes to like unit betting, you tend to go a little bit smaller, half a unit, uh, three quarters of a unit. Is this the point of the year where you start betting more on games because you can you have more models and statistics to back up your beliefs? Yeah, I'll start to step out on games a little bit harder. Last week, you know, was the first time that I stepped out a little bit harder on uh, going over one unit, which is my standard, you know, uh, recommendation on sides and i took a little bit of the denver broncos money line in addition to taking them against the spread um and i'll do the same type of thing for totals as well uh, now that the computer model is 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 cranked up a little bit uh so definitely yeah and look i want to say this too uh again this is not touts we'll talk about the games we miss both of us like tampa bay last week both of us like chicago last week uh we were talking on the phone earlier uh, people don't realize I don't think that Akeem Hicks went out in the first quarter. And I think the thing that surprised both of us about that game is Oakland's ability to run the ball. And sometimes you got to give props to a team. And in the Tampa Bay side, uh, I think we're both a little bit upset about the referees in that game. I think that there was a lot of calls that were a little bit questionable. At the same time, man, the Saints are a little bit better than I think we thought they were. So 
you're not going to be right all the time, but the reason that we do this is because of sharp school. But I wasn't sure if anything in those two games I missed that you wanted to clarify because we're not afraid to talk about our misses. We learn from our losses. Yeah, I was absolutely surprised. Uh, one of the things with Oakley, the Oakland Raiders that we know and we've talked about on your show before was that once John Gruden gets involved in a team, they tend to do worse from an overall record perspective because he gets his hands into the personnel and he's not as good dealing with personnel. However, he's a really good X's and O's coach. Mm -hmm. And the two things that really impressed me, what was one of the biggest narratives going into the game? We didn't really discuss it on your show because we kind of try to uncover things that. Yeah. Well, Khalil Mack getting to the quarterback. The Khalil Mack was like the biggest storyline heading into this game that we intentionally looked at other angles that was more of a narrative street. And Gruden did a great job of scheming around Khalil Mack and not making him impact Derek Carr in this game. But the thing that surprised me the most was their ability, the Oakland Raiders' ability with Josh Jacobs to run the football and to be productive on the ground. And that support to force everything not to have to go through Derek Carr yeah. was massive in this game. I mean, Khalil Mack's influence on a game is going to be lessened when you're leading 14 to nothing and you can run the ball more freely. If Chicago had taken a lead here, forcing Derek Carr to drop back more often, maybe Mac does make an impact. So it was vital that Oakland got out quick and they did. And we saw the results ultimately. Yeah, no doubt. Went. Um, I think the big game of last week, and I want to start off sharp school, just talking about Predictive game flow. Uh, a lot of betting shows like to talk to you about sides. Uh, I know that you would rather bet overs and unders than sides most of the time because uh, you have a very good way of looking at how a game is going to go. I thought that the ultimate game flow game last week was Chiefs-Colts. It was funny because we saw this in the playoffs last year. Maybe the Colts can run the ball and slow it down. Kansas City got out to a lead quick over this week though in the regular season we actually saw the Colts even though the Chiefs had the ball first they were able to hold the Chiefs to a field goal and set the tone for game flow what do we take from this Chiefs Colts game moving forward and and what is your beliefs overall as you look at this slate with overs and unders well that game was certainly interesting my model leaned towards the under in that game but what I felt like was vital for the Colts to have success in that game was Frank Reich's ability and desire to modify his game plan based on opponent. Mm. Not teams do that. Not enough coaches do that. And what he said is we need to minimize Patrick Mahomes' influence over this game and we need to maximize our ability to win this game. And so the way that we're going to do that, we're going to do it on both sides of the ball. We're going to completely change our defensive strategy. Instead of playing zone, we're going to play man. We rarely play man, but we're going to up the man usage to a tremendous amount in this particular game. And Matt Everflus, their defensive coordinator, did that. And on offense, they said, we're going to take more of an uh, emphasis on the run game. It's the ball control style of offense, short passes, high percentage passes, solid runs, utilize motion, reads, uh, play action. But we're really going to try to possess the ball, keep that other team off the field. Um, but they weren't doing it in a detrimental fashion where they were. It felt like it was forced. No, they were doing it from a determination standpoint that we think we can have success with this. And guess what? If they didn't have success, they probably would have modified. But they thought they could have success. They did have success and they executed it. 
where this transitions into this week is Bill O'Brien and the Houston Texans. Bill O'Brien has been a focus of you for a very long time. Uh, what's very interesting is we have some coaches in this league, McVeigh, which we'll get into later, Belichick, that you can look at them and, and with full confidence go, they are going to adapt and they will take advantages of the weaknesses of their opponents this week. There are other coaches that we have seen that are so uh, repetitive and um, I don't want to say they're bad coaches. They just, this is what they do and they don't change. And because of that, we can use that to their minds too. And, and when, if you read Warren's book, Bill O'Brien is like that to a T. And so when we see a Bill O'Brien team in the Houston Texans that had success the week before, and they had 53 points against the Atlanta Falcons, who we all can admit maybe have the worst defense in the NFL right now, that he's likely going to run the same playbook and try to go and have a shootout with the Kansas City Chiefs. Is that fair to say, do you think, because of what we saw and, and looking forward to the future in this week? Yeah, it is. I think that they're, they very much are creatures of habit, and they had success last week throwing the ball down the field. They tried to do that the prior week against the Carolina Panthers, and Deshaun Watson just missed on a few uh, plays, and that's why he spent time after the game on the field working right. on things, and they got really – uh, they cared a lot about trying to get things right this week. Now, they actually trailed at halftime by a point, uh, but they came back in the second half. They were able to hit those shots and be very aggressive down the field in the passing game. The Chiefs are the 31st-ranked run defense, and they rank ninth against the pass. Um, and my concern with Houston, who has been more pass-heavy than run, they're the 13th most pass-heavy team this year, is that Houston is going to come in here and try to just Rinse and repeat what they did last week. They're going to try to throw the football down the field, attack that secondary, when in fact their best bet might just be to be a little bit more methodical with their approach offensively. Um, and I just don't know and don't have a lot, as much confidence in Bill O'Brien making the week-to-week strategic adjustments that a Frank Reich, that a Bill Belichick, that a Doug Peterson right. – uh, of doing, you know, just wholesale. This is our opponent. So we're going to utilize this strategy. And it was very different than what we've done year to date or last week. But we're confident in our ability to do it. And we mm. think it's going to have the most success this game. Uh, we're going to dive deep into this game later. I'm curious. We do finally have an early London game. Uh, so we are going to get to watch some morning football, which is always fun. Panthers Bucks. Uh, I know that you've been very impressed with uh, the Turners and how they've been coaching uh, Kyle Allen, but I also know that you're a little bit wary of this this defensive strength of schedule for the Panthers. How does all this play into a game flow situation in the morning uh, with that game? Yeah, I'm happy that they actually stuck the London game at a 9.30 a.m. instead of bunching it in with the 1 o'clock games. That made absolutely no sense. I know it's early for the West Coast guys, but guess what? I mean, you can get up and watch it or you can leave it to the guys. But I want to have some football that yep. I can be watching, enjoying in the morning. And the interesting thing here, I have really absolutely, like you just said, been super impressed with the Turner's ability to come out and start optimizing that offense for 2019. You know, my definite concerns with what they were going to bring to the table with Cam Newton, how well that was going to work and integrate last year. It worked perfectly. 
and they've got a very forward-thinking strategy and approach to football. If you look at their game, they played Tampa Bay earlier this season in week two. And if you look at that game, what do we know about Carolina? We know Carolina is a team that has a really good running back, and they've had a lot of success running the football. So chances are you might think that they're going to run the football uh, in this game. But they're playing a very good Tampa Bay Buccaneers run defense. In that game, week two, they went 74% pass. Wow. Which is extremely high rate for the Carolina Panthers. They have been more pass heavy, which is smart. But to go to 74% in a game where they never trailed by more than six points. They're, they lost the game by six points. They were leading at some points in the game, down by one. Like This was not a game where you would think, hey, we should go pass heavy because we're down by 21 points. And in addition, if you remember, Adam, that game was weather influenced. There was rain. They had a lightning delay, in fact. Huge delay, yep. You would think that that would be even more of a reason to want to run the football. But they realized our best approach to this game is to pass the football against this defense that's so good against the run. Tampa Bay's defense um, right now against the run ranks number one in the NFL, but they're below average against the pass. And so the goal is to pass the ball against these guys, and that's what Carolina ultimately decided to do. Um, We're all all talking about this Carolina defense right now, but I think that you've noticed some strength of schedule stuff that's given you some pause. I have. Carolina, if you look at who they've played and who they faced, the two, the last three weeks, they played Gardner Minshew, and I love Gardner Minshew, but let's, let's be yeah, real. Yeah, totally. So like, you know, uh, they also faced the Arizona Cardinals with Josh Rosen. So we're talking about a couple of very young, inexperienced quarterbacks. Kyler Murray, Kyler Murray. Kyler Murray. And then in addition, they played the Houston Texans. And the Houston Texans, we know that that was one of the games where there was turnovers. Houston just didn't look very good offensively. Deshaun Um, missed the two D balls, one to Fuller, one to Hopkins. Exactly. And also week one, they played Jared Goff and they hosted Jared Goff. And we know Jared Goff has massive home road splits. No doubt. So Jared Goff was in Carolina for that game. I really don't think that they've played uh, and been tested enough for us to say that they're worthy of a top five pass defense, which is what they rank. They are very good. If you think about Carolina from years past, you might think they don't have as good of a pass defense, but they really do have a decent pass defense, but I don't think it's top five. And I think Chris Godwin can have a lot of success Mm. in the game. And I also think that one of the big factors in this game was Cam Newton was not right when they played in week two. He admitted as much the very next week. He recorded that home video of some drinking wine, smoking a cigar, talking about how he was not healthy and he could not go and he didn't want to let his fans down, but he probably should not have played in these games because he absolutely could not go. When they were in 11 personnel, they used 11 personnel 81% of the time. He was just dropping back and passing the ball. There were guys open, and he was missing them. I mm. expect Carolina to have a much more balanced game plan this week, throw the ball as just as much, and have more success with Kyle Allen. I am going to give one piece of information that concerns me about what you're saying right now. Alex Kappa, starting right guard, out indefinitely with an arm injury. Damar Dotson, right tackle, listed as day-to-day right now with a hamstring injury. I've just seen a lot of games this year, Warren, and tell me if I'm crazy, where we've liked an offense, but offensive line issues prevent it from really clicking. 
And this is a Panthers pass rush now with Bruce Irvin being healthy and Brian Burns showing like he might be the rookie defensive player of the year where I go, there might be opportunities, but I am a little bit worried about that offensive line. That's just, that's my one concern about what you're saying right now. Absolutely. Now, now Tampa Bay has played the number two most difficult schedule of pass rushes and they rank 23rd in pass protection efficiency. Mm. So they haven't been great, but they've been tested a lot so far this season. I agree. I absolutely love Brian Burns. The dude is a total freak, and he could wreak havoc and wreck the Tampa Bay's uh, passing efficiency here. I will say, with Kwan Short out, yep. Carolina's run defense has been pretty trash, and I think that Tampa should be able to rely a little bit more on the run game. And look, over in London, there is no way that Tampa's offensive line should be tested more than what they had to deal with last week in New Orleans with that dome environment. I know they're dealing with some injury situations, but I, I think they should be able to do enough on the ground here to supplement what Jameis Winston feels like he needs to do from the air. But it always is a concern. Jameis under pressure oh. is like the worst combination you could have. I, but I, I want to give you credit. Where you play the game matters. The New Orleans Saints offensive and defensive line, while I believe they are both top five in the sport in their respective field, when they are at home, they are number one. And it is, a, it is an advantage that is much, much different than anybody else. But to go back to what we were saying about Bill O'Brien in terms of these coaches that can either get too conservative, uh, there's been two coaches that, that you've been spotlighting a lot on social media. If you don't follow Warren at Sharp Football, uh, I'm going to come out and say it. I think you're an idiot because I think that Warren is one of the better tweeters uh, that we have. Uh, but one that you focused on a lot is the Packers and how they score uh, as the game goes on. And the other, you've been all over Denver this year, as a lot of our listeners found out on Sunday. But start with the Packers in terms of these, both of these teams use a lot of heavy sets. And I think that you've seen with both Matt LaFleur and Vic Fangio and Scangarello with the Denver Broncos, maybe they're a little bit more creative early. And these are things that we can do with some over-ender line bets, whether it's first half or second half, because we're starting to really see some trends with both coaches with how they approach, approach the beginnings of games and the ends of games. What do you see in there? It's crazy. Uh, Green Bay Packers. So, you know, I start to note things and sometimes I'll share them on Twitter, but other times I'll keep them to myself. Early in the week, early in the season, right? Weeks one, week two. Okay, I'm taking notes just like you do. We're taking notes. We're making observations. Yep. We can't conclusions. We can't draw anything from it yet. Too small of a sample size. But these are observations. They're worth noting. By the time you get through like five weeks of the season, some of these things that we're, we're now a third of the way through the season almost. These are things that are more than I know there's not a huge sample size, but we need to be aware of these things. Green Bay Packers points by quarter. First quarter. 42, second quarter, 40, third quarter, 28, fourth quarter, nine. Okay, they progressively get worse as the game script declines. They have really good scripting early in the game, utilizing a lot of different personnel sets. I mean, Green Bay is one of those teams where they're only 59% 11 personnel. They switch around, they do 12, they do 21, they do a little bit of 22. They're working all these different things in with Matt LaFleur's offense which is a good thing. Um, I like teams that do that and get more not predictable. The issue, though, that I have with it is that sometimes those types of coaches have a very good agenda heading into the game. 
We're going to use a little bit of this. We're going to use some of that. We're going to mix things up. We're going to catch them with this play action. This is going to be a great play because we think it's going to catch them off guard. But then when that wears off and they get into the second half, they kind of just go with like what's most familiar to them. Well, what's the easy things that I'm, I'm used to calling? What does my offense like to do? And so they get caught up in the moment. And I call it play caller fatigue. As I've analyzed play callers around the league, I call it like this element of fatigue where they spent their brain power in the first half coming up with all these different things and inventing these strategies and sure. plays. And then when it gets to the second half in the fourth quarter, it's just like, all right, well, let's get this play back. Let's do this again. Let's do this again. Let's call the thing that I'm familiar with. Right. Ends up not having the same level of impact. The same is true, as you mentioned, with the Denver Broncos. We watched that game last week. I was not on Denver the prior week against Jacksonville, but they should have won and covered that game. They gave up a 17 to six lead. Last week, they were up 17 to nothing at halftime, actually should have been up by more than that. In both games combined, they scored 10 points in the second half. They, the, uh, they caught the Chargers last week with using heavy groupings and they caught them with some play action. They were throwing the tight end down the seam. They had a number of great plays, but then in the second half, they're playing with a lead. They're doing things very conservatively. And they're not as aggressive and creative with the ways that they're implementing passing out of those heavier sets. And they're allowing other teams to get into the game and, and, and by themse- and themselves not scoring quite as much. I think it's interesting because like I looked it up. Like Monday Night Football, first half uh, line right now for the Packers is 13 and a half. And it's, it's something where I'm never sure if I want to use that information that you told me because I know that they're going to score in the first half, or do I wait and see how they score in the first half and then take advantage of that second half line? Do you think you're, you're, the, the stats you're finding are more correlated for first half or second half lines? Well, it definitely uh, plays into helping you wager on the second half um, mm. for sure. Now, in this particular week, there might be some value in the full game number, so you would right. want to look just take the value wherever you find it. But um, if the Packers are down at halftime where the Packers are tied at halftime, maybe not quite as much of an edge. But if the Packers are leading, I mean, history is telling us that they'll take the foot off the gas. They'll get more conservative. And, you know, the the trick with the Packers, though, just what the 33 percent needs to know is that they are very bad against the run. Very bad. They can be exploited against the run. We saw what the Philadelphia Eagles did to this team running the football. And the Eagles do not have a great rushing offense so far this season. And they destroyed the Green Bay Packers on the ground, especially running from 12 personnel. Hmm. Bay struggles to run, stop the run. But when you're leading and you've got a 17-point lead at halftime, what is that def- What is that opposing offense not able to do in the second half? They are not able to run the football nearly as much as they would otherwise want to. So I think um, you know those teams have to pass the ball against this good secondary. That is a problem for those offenses. You want to be able to be balanced. So the big key for the Monday night game is, is Detroit able to get to halftime without this game being too big of a margin? Can they keep it somewhat close? If they can, I think that their ability to run the football in the second half will definitely play a big role in uh, keeping this game close and perhaps you know uh, winning this game outright, but certainly covering the spread. So when I first picked up uh, Warren's book, I was introduced to the phrase EDSR, early down success rate. Uh, I believe that Warren uh, 
is is great at a lot of things, uh, but figuring this out, I think, has kind of been one of your calling cards. Uh, it was the big theme of your book last year. Throw it to running backs and tight ends in the middle field on first and second down. We're seeing a lot of teams. We've seen that percentage grow year after year. And I asked you this morning, is it predictive? Does it correlate to wins? Are teams that are more successful on early downs, are they better teams? And you said, absolutely. I'm curious, what has that correlation been that you've seen? And and I, we're going to dive into right now who is doing great on early downs, who's not, what are the surprises, but overall explain to people why it correlates so strongly. So this is, you're absolutely right. This is a phenomenon that I came up with a little while ago, and it correlates so well to actual game success because third downs are a reactionary down. And if you can avoid being even put into those situations, you're going to never give the football back to the other team. And that's what the NFL is all about. You win games when you move the ball down the field and convert first downs. And it's far easier if you're never going to third down. Um, All of this sounds very elementary, but when I was working on this five, seven years ago, the landscape of analysts in the NFL never, never separated out third downs. They talked about third downs, but they never just isolated what teams do on early downs. I have been beating this drum for years years about efficiency of why shouldn't we just measure offenses on early downs and defenses on early downs, that's going to be very predictive. And now I'm starting to see this year, the very first time, Adam, that other people like PFF and other websites are starting to talk about, well, on early downs, this is that. And on early downs, they've Mm. never talked about that before. And that's been the thing that I came up with years ago. It is an 80, let's look at the playoffs, right? Just the playoffs for like the last, over the last decade, okay, where you have Two decent opponents going, at least they made the playoffs, right? There's going to be some lopsided wins in, in there. But when you look at all the metrics, okay, turnover margin in the postseason, that dictates 81% of a team's ability to win a game. If you win the turnover battle, you'll win 81% of your games. Early down success rate, if you win the early down success rate battle in that game, so you're able to avoid third downs and you're forcing your opponent into third downs, you win 80% of games. Wow. No other metric out there, um, like how many total yards do you have, yards per pass attempt, sack rate, uh, all the other metrics that people, how many rushing yards you get, all these like basic elementary statistics that you and I both know is more uh, correlation versus causation. Yes. but, But so the correlation rate should be pretty high with those. Early down success rate correlate blows those statistics out of the water. So, it's very useful when we're trying to uh, look at teams that have the best ability to win a game. If they can win that battle and they're good at converting on early downs, they're probably going to have a really good shot at winning this game unless turnovers become an issue. So let's look at the teams and who's doing really well right now. Let's start off at number one. Uh, I'm down to here the top five, but I'm kind of curious, who are the teams at the top that are they're doing the best with EDSR? So our boy, I'm writing this down because this is important to me. Yeah, so our boy uh, Kyle Shanahan heads up this list. Oh, of now, course. Th- offensively, they've been very good. Um, I also look at strength of schedule here, so I adjust for strength of schedule. But defensively, they actually have the number one defense so far in terms of early down success rate defense. So 
They've been good offensively, but even better defensively. Wow. Two, very surprising to me, was the Buffalo Bills. I'm not surprised that their defense was that good, but offensively, they rank just inside the top 10. And if you consider the strength of schedule that they've played, uh, they actually rank as the fourth best offense in early down success rate so far this year. Clocking in at number three in terms of total early on success rate are the Houston Texans. Wow. Uh, should theoretically help them in this game against uh, the Kansas City Chiefs, right? Being able to avoid those third downs. Um, and the Chiefs really struggled defensively early downs, as you might expect. They rank 28th. But overall, because of how strong their offense is, the Chiefs clock in at number four. So the wow. Chiefs number four and the Texans were number three and those two teams play each other this week. And the last team that's on here uh, in terms of just going over the top five are the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, which is interesting because the Carolina Panthers, who they play, comes in at number six. So wow. missed it. But we got two matchups of the top six teams playing one another this week, which is what we're talking about. It's going to be a good week to watch football because some of these very good teams are playing one another. That's pretty awesome. Uh, when you see those, like I'm obviously someone that I like to find statistics that back up my beliefs. It makes me feel really smart and it makes everybody else feel really dumb. But when you see like the Bills at two or the Texans at three, what did that make you think when you saw those? I was surprised uh, because Oh, especially about the Bills offense. You know, this is this is an offense that I think is still working with a second year quarterback and he's not reached his apex, but uh, he's not viewed as a quarterback who's really efficient. And so I think the credit there really goes to Brian Dayball and the strategy that that offense is coming up with for them to put themselves in situations where they're avoiding those uh, third downs and, and, and doing and being very productive offensively. I will note that the New England Patriots, who don't make this list of the top, even though they're widely viewed as the best team in the NFL, they don't make this list. They do have the number one defense, right? They do have the number one defense. If you look at pure defense, if you adjust for schedule, it's it's just below. It's number two. But they rank seventh overall, and they have the 26th ranked offense. So this is a team we talk about what the New England Patriots need to do. They certainly need to work on getting more efficient on early downs. And we've seen games where Tom Brady goes up against a decent defense like the Bills and looks somewhat human, uh, looked very human in that game against the Bills. Listen, he had a lot of human moments against Washington where he was looking like under attack and collapse. And so the, the thing is, is it, the New England Patriots are so beautiful because every single second is optimized and Every single decision is leading to a better one. Uh, bottom five, any team? Let's let's go over that. Who stands out as the worst EDSR team in the NFL? What two? What, what two would you guess were at the very bottom? Like two of the worst teams so far in the league. It's it'll be pretty clear. Uh, I mean, I would have to say Miami, and I'd have to say Cincinnati. Okay, you got you got those two are there. Miami is the worst. Um, and the Jets are second worst. Oh, I could see and, that. And then you've got the uh, a surprising team. I'll talk about them in a second. Um, the Cardinals are fourth worst. The Bengals are fifth worst. And a team that clocks in at 30th overall so in third early. Third worst to the NFL. Third worst in the NFL. Made the playoffs last year. A lot of hype going into this season. Is and it we my did Eagles? Not, not your Eagles. Okay. Actually, they, they are surprisingly low. 
the Chicago Bears. Wow. Bears. And actually, you know, what do we know about this team? Supported by Vic Fangio and their defense, one of the best defenses in the NFL. By early down success rate metrics so far this season, clocking in at 23rd defensively. And that is why if you're not a supremely great defense and defense has trouble going year over year, you know, correlating year over year to having that same level of success. You lose Vic Fangio, your defense drops off a bit. That offense is only 29th in early down success rate. So it can't support a mediocre to poor defense. You got to have lights out defense. They're not getting lights out defense. And that's one of the reasons why the Chicago Bears have struggled this year. Now, when they get Mitchell Trubisky back, could they improve? Absolutely. Hopefully they will. Chase Daniel certainly hasn't looked good in relief. But overall, still, this is an offense and that's really struggling and a defense that's surprisingly struggling. So it makes me happy that the bottom five has four of the worst teams in it. It makes a lot of sense. Correlations there. Uh, causation. Whatever you want. Uh, we got all the Asians. Uh, in terms of surprising teams, who was lower than you thought? Who was higher than you thought? And how do we use this information going forward? Yeah, so the Philadelphia Eagles actually rank 27th by my early down success wow. rate. Um, defensively, they are really good, fourth best defense. But when you adjust for their schedule in terms of the offenses that they've gone up against, that drum drops down dramatically. And offensively, that's the most surprising thing to me. They rank 25th right now in pure offense, non-schedule adjusted, and and, there's, and it drops down a little bit when you look at uh, the teams that they've played as well. When you look at um, you know defenses like the Jets and the Falcons and the Redskins, these are three defenses. Like They played the Falcons early. They played the Redskins week one. Um, they just played the Jets. We knew that they were bad. But like these are teams that we didn't know the – Redskins were going to be this terrible this year, right? Like I took the under on their win total, but I didn't know they were going to be this terrible and fire their head coach after five weeks in the season. I didn't realize that the Falcons, I, I didn't have a lot of confidence in Dan Quinn, but this is like a terrible defense right now. Um, and so the Eagles were able to play those three teams. Now they should have beaten Atlanta, as you well know, if Nelson Aguilar catches the ball or they don't lose half their offense in pregame warmups. But um, it's, it's definitely been a surprising offense um, from that perspective. Another team that ranks really low is the um, L.A. Chargers. You know, the Chargers are a team. That's not surprising at all. Okay, well, they're 2-3 and three right now because they lost to Denver, which we thought that they would. But prior to that, they're 2-3. But two Warren, and Warren, I'm telling you, tell me if I'm crazy. Every time I watch the Chargers, it's 3rd and 7, and Rivers is trying to make a miracle happen. It's like every freaking drive. I'll that, give it back to you. That's, that's absolutely correct. Philip Rivers slapping his hands like a madman, trying to get that snap with one second left on the clock on third and 100%. That's like Groundhog Day. Yeah. The Baltimore Ravens, probably one of the most surprising things on here. You know where Baltimore ranks defensively in terms of schedule adjusted early down success rate? Uh, 29th. 32nd. The worst in the league. Worst in the league right now. When you adjust for their schedule, Baltimore's defense is the worst on early downs of any team in the NFL. That's wow. And they me. just lost Tony Jefferson. Yeah, how long is he going to be out for, Adam? I think the year. Ooh. Yeah, was it an ACL? It looked yeah. like it. Yeah. It was one of those where they're like, ACL plus more. And I was like, we don't need more. ACL's enough. But apparently he's out for the year. Man. Yeah, that's not good. I will tell you, um, some of these other teams in the NFC North, right, we talk about how good the NFC North is and how competitive that division yes. is. 
is, and there's a lot of teams in there. Um, right now, you're looking at like the Vikings, the Packers, and the Lions. All these teams rank in total early on success rate defense between 16th and 19th. So there's no, no team in the top 15 from the NFC North. Um, these are all teams that, like, due to their philosophies a little bit on offense, how much they want to run the football and their strategies, they are facing a lot more third downs than they otherwise probably should. And they're doing better on defense, but it's still not good enough to get them into the top five, top 15 of the NFL. And then I guess my last question, just to kind of wrap up EDSR, is are there any other teams that are like in the top 10, closer to 10 or around there, that were positive surprising? We have the Eagles, the Chargers, the Ravens as surprisingly low. Any that are more surprisingly high other than the uh, Texans, Bills, and uh, Bucks? The surprising thing is the Jacksonville Jaguars are clocking in at ninth best overall. And it's not necessarily just because their defense, which has typically been in the top 10 for several years, is still in the top 10. It's ninth overall. But their offense has been much better than I would have otherwise suspected when you're talking about bringing on a Gardner Minshew to take over that offense. They actually rank about league average. And so they cracked the top 10. And another team that's sort of surprising is the New York Giants. Um, Look, look terrible, but they've played a very difficult schedule. So their schedule is helping their early down success rate numbers. They're about an average to slightly below average team if you just look at their pure metrics. When adjusted for schedule, it looks a little bit better. Unfortunately for them, they're going to face a very tough schedule and uh, it's not going to light up anytime soon. Not at all. So let's get back to the team that came in at number one, the San Francisco 49ers. This was a team that uh, you said online that they were your most fun chapter to write about in your book. Uh, this is a team that when I wrote notes from your book down, the things that caught my attention were, wow, they had a minus 25 turnover ratio last year, which was so much worse than everybody else in the league. This was the fourth most injured team that you looked up. They were one of the hardest schedules in the NFL. This is a team that was, I think, two and six in one score games. They had all the makings of the bounce back team, but we weren't sure about this D line because, well, they haven't shown it, even though they've all been first round picks. Now they're playing great. We weren't sure about this past defense, but the past, the past rush has made it very easy. The one thing we did know is that when it's Kyle Shanahan and they're running the ball, they're going to have success. What's interesting now, though, is Kyle Juszczyk is out for a month, maybe a little bit more. We're still waiting on Joe Staley to come back, and we just lost McGlinchey, their other tackle moving forward. And I'm curious, as we we give Kyle Shanahan the love that he deserves. I also wonder when you're down your two tackles and your fullback and the fullbacks do matter, how big of an impact could this be moving forward, Martin? I am concerned with the loss of Kyle Juszczyk. And I know that there's differing schools of thought here because some people think that number one, running doesn't matter. And number two, um, there's no issue with uh, losing a fullback, what's the big deal? He's just a fullback. But the fact of the matter is losing a fullback, the level of Kyle Juszczyk, when you have a team that utilizes the most 21 personnel in the NFL, it is an issue. It's a problem, and it's something that they're going to need to figure out. Um, Kyle Shanahan, there's no other fullback on that roster. So they're going to need to figure out a way to work a tight end into doing some of those things uh, and using more 12 personnel and 11 personnel than they otherwise would like. And 
the thing that I think is, um, you know, a little bit humorous when we talk about, you know, a lot of people um, in the analytics community just want to look at like kind of, well, what matters in the NFL and running doesn't matter as much. So fullbacks don't matter as much. And it's not really an issue. The fact is, why don't we talk to Kyle Shanahan about how much he thinks this is going to impact his offense? Why don't we ask the guy who actually has orchestrated a team that's undefeated right now, took another team to the Super Bowl, despite that team in the Atlanta Falcons having one of the worst defenses in the NFL that year. It was all because of his offense and what he was doing offensively. This guy is a very creative offensive mind, a guy who doesn't just go with the norm and trot out 11 personnel all the time, but gets creative with things. Why don't we ask him how much he thinks that loss matters. He's going to do everything he can to scheme around it, make it not become an impact and a detriment to what they're doing, but it's going to restrict some of their play calling ability. It's going to restrict some of his creativity. Juszczyk is obviously an all-star caliber player, very efficient down the field uh, in the passing game, as well as his ability to spring run plays as we saw against the Browns on Monday night. So I think it's going to be something they're going to struggle to overcome for sure. Look, it's a little bit upsetting to me that the Patriots and the Niners, the two teams that use the most 21 personnel with two running backs, both of them lost their fullback in the last two weeks. And it's it is very it's going to be interesting to watch how these teams adjust. Um, and I think watching Tom Brady kind of being impacted by the pass rush last week, uh, I was like, man, it would have been nice to have uh the, the the fullback there. I also go, you know who else lost their fullback this year and we haven't talked about? The Baltimore Ravens and Patrick Ricard, who also is a defensive lineman. I know he's missed the last few weeks too, but it'll be it'll be interesting to see. So is this a, a situation where you're going to study what Kyle Shanahan does do against this Rams team? Like, is there anything we can take to guess what he's going to do? Or is this more of a, we should probably watch this game and then and see what happens? I am going to guess that they are going to use a second tight end to play the role of use check in some of their offensive plays. Um, I do not think that they'll bring on a new fullback. I don't think he would have anywhere close to the same level of success that use check was having there. I mean, look, Kyle Shanahan went out and got this guy in free agency, paid him a bunch of money to come there and be their fullback. So I don't think a guy off the street right now is going to come close to replicating what he would mean for this offense. Um, so I do think what we're going to see, more passing, number one, less 21, obviously. And I think, you know, my hope is this week it doesn't really drop off, but it is going to be a challenge, especially when you lose McGlinchey. The combination of losing both of those guys against the Rams in this particular game, where it's a great spot for the Rams, they have extra time to prepare for this one, as we're going to discuss later, is a big problem. All right, so this is the part of the show where Warren acts as a therapist, a friend, and as a betting savant. I have gone through a little bit of a spell. Not overall in the Super Contest. I went 2-2-1. Two, two uh, wasn't thrilled with it, but it's another week where I, I did not go below 500. Still haven't had that week. Happy with it. I am 16-8-1 on the year. I'm still doing okay. Not bad. But good. three of my eight losses have come because I've bet against the Saints the last three weeks. And I'm getting emotionally upset. Three weeks ago, I went against Warren, and I said, I'm going with the Seahawks against the Saints. He was right. I was wrong. I said, never again. 
Two weeks ago, they were playing against Dallas. All the sharp money on the world was on New Orleans. It was on Dallas. I joined them. Wrong again. They were able to get it done with four field goals. And I went, damn, Dallas, you let me down. Last week, all the sharp money again was on Tampa Bay against New Orleans. Will Teddy be able to beat them deep? He proved me wrong. I am now 0-3 against the Saints. And I kind of feel like I'm at the blackjack table. And I know that this is the hand that I should probably go even more against the Saints. But I'm feeling a little bit scarred. I'm feeling scared. I believe that the New Orleans Saints will be going to the Super Bowl in the NFC. I have all the belief in this team. They're going to Jacksonville. And everyone's telling me, Warren, sharp money's on Jacksonville. Good money's on Jacksonville. But I'm scared. And I think there's a lot of betters that go through this. It's the same people that fill out their Scantron in high school and they go, I filled out B, I filled out B, I filled out B. This one I think is B, but I need to go somewhere else. Warren, how do I handle this? What is your advice as a friend, a sage, and also as my therapist? First of all, I love that you brought back Scantron uh, because that's a memory from back in the day that I really wanted to hear about right now. Um, (laughs) I think that the Saints are just a very well-coached team. And there's something about the way that they've come together over this loss of Drew Brees, who's been their leader for years, that they want to bring this team as many without Brees as possible so that when Brees comes back, it's an easier road forward. I've been super impressed uh, with what they've been able to do. I, like you, was on the show last week and thought that because Tampa was going to be able to stop Alvin Kamara, which they did, Tampa shut down Alvin Kamara in the run game. I felt like a lot of this was going to come onto Teddy Bridgewater's shoulders, and I felt like he was going to struggle to throw the ball down the field well enough. It's amazing that defenses really only need to figure out a way to take away Michael Thomas. Like, if you're Bill Belichick, the only more teams need to, like, we know Bill Belichick takes away somebody. If you're if you're the other defense coordinator, think like Bill Belichick. Who do you Always. need? Take away Michael Thomas. Figure out a way to minimize what Michael Thomas is going to do. Let anybody else beat you. If Jared Cook beats you, fine. If Ted Ginn beats you, fine. Do not let yourself get beat by Michael Thomas. And yet, what does Tampa Bay do? They let themselves get beat by Michael Thomas. All these teams are letting themselves get beat by Michael Thomas. Um, I don't like the spot here for the Saints. I think the Saints, I I liked the fact that the Saints were on the West Coast week two. They lost Drew Brees and they had to rally themselves um, and go and take care of the Seattle Seahawks in week three on the road. They stayed out there away from home, no distractions. They were able to win that game, right? They won that game primarily because of a couple of scores, but on the from their not that did not come from their offense. I'm worried here they've played two games at home in back-to-back weeks. We know how much that home crowd helps that team. One of those games was against the Dallas Cowboys in prime time. Then they played the Bucs. I think that they – I think (laughs) on the grass outdoors in Florida is going to be a little bit of a different change of pace for Teddy Bridgewater. I'm a little bit concerned about it if I am looking to back the New Orleans Saints here. So I will not. I would look to do something with the Jacksonville Jaguars, although I will admit that – the Saints do 
make for an interesting leg for a teaser potentially this week. Mm. It's just like, I think this is the perfect mix when you and I talk where you can come and, and look at every game in a vacuum. And I'm like, I've been screwed by this team three weeks in a row. Does that, do you ever have moments like that where you yourself are like, I, maybe I'm just not reading this team correctly? Yes, absolutely. It's not something unique to you. I think it's very valid for uh, betters in general to go over and evaluate everything that you've done. And I think you, from the time that I've known you, are very organized and very good at figuring out, you know, where am I, where have my struggles been? What am I not reading right? Like, for example, if my computer model isn't really accounting for some unique idiosyncrasy of a certain team mm. and starting to pick up on that oh after a couple of weeks you know i need to be able to adjust for that um and if you're not paying close enough attention you're going to miss that there is certainly the the fear-based pattern of going against them for so many weeks and losing that you don't want to go against them this week again it's definitely look what my advice to you would be as the friend is there's other games on the board i know you got to pick Thank games you. for your you don't have to bet any particular game, even if you think that the Jacksonville Jaguars are in a good spot or you think it might be too short. You don't have to bet this game. There are other things to look at. And that's, I think, advice all gamblers should take is just because the game's on prime time, just because you, 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 you really like this particular team, you don't have to bet any single game if you've got consternation about it. So then let's look at some other games. Uh, what we've decided, though, is is we normally do 1 o'clock, 4 o'clock Sunday night football. Uh, I think we both looked at L.A. Chargers versus Pittsburgh on Sunday night with the quarterback questions with Dalvin Hodges and the injury to the center for the Chargers, Marquise Pouncey. There's a lot of questions, and with questions comes weird results. And so we're going to do two 1 o'clock games and the 4 o'clock game. Uh, and the first 1 o'clock game means a lot to me. Philadelphia, Minnesota. Uh, I know know that you believe you have a lot of information on this game, uh, but when let me just get my own little personal biases out. I watched Philadelphia New York Jets, and I came away less impressed with Philadelphia. Uh, I did not like the way their offense performed. Uh, they had two defensive touchdowns, and I usually bet against those teams. I love Minnesota at home usually, uh, but at, at the same point, you know, where, what is their relationship now with the passing game after everyone was excited about Kirk Cousins because he lit up the, the Giants? My one little nugget here is the one thing Philadelphia does really well right now is stop the run. Green Bay couldn't run on them. No, they sell out to stop the run. And, and so if they're able to stop Dalvin Cook, will they go to the digs and feeling over top? As you look at this game, uh, what, what did your eyes focus on right away for Eagles, Minnesota? First thing that I focused on is the fact that I think the Philadelphia Eagles are going to have some success here out of 12 personnel. And it's, if you're looking at year-to-date information, you're not accounting for the fact that the Philadelphia Eagles lost the ability to use 12 personnel in week two for that game against the Atlanta Falcons. Right. That uh, Dallas Goddard only played, I think, nine snaps the next week against the Detroit Lions. He was not quite healthy um, in that game. I guess for whatever reason, they wanted to bring him in slowly. They used him a couple of situational spots or something. And, uh, and so he didn't play quite as much in that game they ended up losing both of those games they're three and oh in the other games that they've played when goddard has been healthy and able to play and if you look at the minnesota vikings and you look at where they have struggled year to date defensively 
It has not been against 11 personnel. Year-to-date defensively against 11, the Minnesota pass defense is allowing only 5.9 yards per attempt to 11 personnel passes. Against 12 personnel, they're allowing 8 yards per attempt and a 55% success rate wow. when you pass at them out of 12 personnel. We know that the Eagles are probably going to utilize some of that in this game. Um, so that's the first one jumped out to me here uh, because that's a strategy, obviously, that the, this, the Eagles like to be yes. a 12 first base team. On the flip side, the other thing that jumped out to me uh, on the other side of the ball was exactly as you said, the Minnesota Vikings are a run-based team. They have the highest desire to run the football of any team in the league. They're the number one most run-heavy team in neutral situations, and they're going up against a run defense in the Philadelphia Eagles that ranks really good. That being said, the Philadelphia, uh, sorry, the Minnesota Vikings have played one of the toughest schedules of rushing offenses this year. They played the sixth toughest schedule. They've actually played. For wait, time out, time out. Rushing defense schedule or rushing offense schedule? Rushing defenses. Okay. So they've played three top ten run defenses so far this year. They played the Chicago Bears. They played the Oakland Raiders, and they played the Atlanta Falcons. Now. I know you're not going to think that much much of the Atlanta Falcons and the Oakland Raiders. These teams don't really have great defenses. But by the metrics, those teams have top 10 run defenses so far this season. So they're used to going up against tough run defenses. That being said, the unique thing about the, Atlanta, the uh, Philadelphia, Philadelphia Eagles, Eagles is that they're really good defending the run, but really bad defending the pass. You can share with the listeners all of the injuries that they've got in their secondary. They keep losing guys. Just like last season. No, I mean, like their entire secondary is a shell of itself. And the guys that are playing like Sidney Jones have been wildly underperforming. I will say that as an Eagles fan, it's been good to see Rodney McLeod and Malcolm Jenkins. I think the safety play has actually been pretty good. The problem is, is they already lost Devontae Maddox. Uh, they're already down Ronald Darby. Uh, they were missing a few other guys and teams have been able to isolate these guys in one-on-one situations, re- resulting in either a lot of deep pass interference calls and when you have Andrew, Andrew Sandejo in coverage with like more than 20 yards, he's not in the red zone, a complete liability. The question here is, are we going to see the digs and the feeling? Are we going to see them be used this week? Or what, did they empty the chamber last week against the Giants? No, I mean, they clearly used a lot of feeling. They didn't use digs very much last week, but you're absolutely right. And who knows Andrew Sandejo better than Mike Zimmer, right? Great fucking point. So... That's an underrated element here. Um, And I think that the minute you're absolutely right, this game comes down to how often does the Minnesota Vikings choose to pass the football against the secondary? I think that they should be able to pass with play action. It's one of the things in the offseason that Minnesota, all the analytics guys jumped up. Oh, Minnesota's going to be great. They got such a great offense because these guys are reading articles about play action and they're studying a lot of play action. But what do they do? They come out this year and just run the ball a ton because that's what Mike Zimmer wants to do. Well, we know the one thing that they read about and studied was play action. And we know that against this secondary, the way that it stands, play action should probably have some success. So I'm interested to see how often they use play action and how often they actually pass the football. But I think that they could have some success when they do that. It's interesting. There, there's there's so much information in this game, and it kind of goes back and forth. And it's, I could see that game going either way. I'm not, I'm not really seeing anything there that makes me feel a heavy lean uh, in either side, in, at least in this game. 
I agree. I think the Philadelphia Eagles, like if if I was looking at this game and this is week 15 and the Philadelphia Eagles are in a must win situation, I think they win this game. I think they go into Minnesota and win this game. But look up the track record of Minnesota in home games. It's supreme. Um, and I do have my fears. They are of- five and one uh, against the spread in their last six home games. And as a favorite, the last three seasons, they're 18 and eight against the spread. Yeah, they're tremendous. Uh, their defense really locks down. And I think this is going to be a battle. I really do. I think this is going to be a great game. That's why we're talking about it. I think it's definitely one of the best games of the weekend. I will say candidly, if I was going to bet this game, I would probably go Minnesota. Um, and, and the reason is to me is I still have not been impressed by any of the running backs on the Eagles in terms of uh, their ability to kind of break free. And I think this is a very tough defensive line and linebacking core to deal with. It's a linebacking core that I think can run with Goddard and Ertz. Uh, and I believe that the without Deshaun Jackson, um, I, I look at the, the corner play, and I know Xavier Rhodes is not what he used to be, but I Alshon Jeffrey, this is not a great team for him in my mind to play against because I think he's not going to – it's it's like the one guy that like Xavier Groves is not afraid of getting beat deep on. You know what I mean? Like we're just going to have an arm wrestling match the entire game. Look at the stats last year. The only guy that was well defended by the Minnesota Vikings was Alshon Jeffrey. That's so I, funny. Alshon Jeffrey was two of nine last year. And to all other guys, I think there was maybe – four incompletions on like well over 25 passing attempts. Yeah. So Parson Wentz was really good targeting tight ends last year. Uh, and the other thing to note, uh, last year's game, Dallas Goddard was a baby. He was in his fifth game ever in the NFL la- last year's game. They now have Dallas Goddard who's matured and is becoming a very solid tight end for the team. Um, so they're going to be able to use more 12 it would have been helpful if they had Deshaun Jackson here to take the top off and to give them yeah. more of a ch- down the field. Uh, but I think Carson Wentz could have some success on the other targets that he's going to throw. But you're right. Alshon Jeffrey is is not in a great situation to help this offense out this week, I don't think. To me, it feels like a game that Minnesota kind of has. And if you bet Minnesota, you're worried about the backdoor cover from the Eagles. And if you're an Eagles fan, you're like, holy crap, I need Wentz to drive down here against this defense. So it's a tough one. Kansas City, Houston. uh, We did talk about it a little bit earlier. The Chiefs coming off of their first loss of the season to Indianapolis, where everybody now is going. All you need to do against Mahomes is to play man and run against the defense and keep them off the field. Not noting the fact that Indy is uniquely qualified to do both of those things. Uh, There is a chance that Tyreek Hill plays in this game, which I think will be very interesting from a usage perspective. Houston coming off a 53-point spot against Atlanta, which Atlanta's defense stinks. Uh, There was a defensive touchdown that game, but it really was the Will Fuller show with what they were able to do. Everything makes me go... Let me check out the over in this game because it just seems like it could be beautiful. Uh, what is the thing that you noted early on between the Chiefs and the Texans? Yeah, I think the the Houston Texans come off a game where they played a good run defense in the Atlanta Falcons, as I mentioned before. That was really the only good run defense they faced all year. If you look at their schedule, they've played one of the easiest schedules of run defenses in the league. 
Now they get to go up against this team that clearly was exposed last week. What is the strategy and the mindset from Bill O'Brien here? Will they try to run the football against this team? On the other side of the ball, I will note one interesting element with Patrick Mahomes. We talked about, I think we talked about this on the show um, earlier this season when I, no- I first noticed it. It's an issue with the Kansas City Chiefs in the red zone and particularly Patrick Mahomes, right? Yeah. Every- talking about Patrick Mahomes and how great he is and how productive he is and how um, just he's the best quarterback in the league. And I definitely think that that is the case uh, right now. But I will note that in the red zone, he is dramatically worse than he was last season. Um, He now has a 31 percent success rate inside of the red zone. That's 25th out of 27 quarterbacks. The only two quarterbacks that are worse than Patrick Mahomes in the red zone from a passing success perspective, meaning like, is this pass that you're going to throw grading out as a successful pass? Does it gain the right number of yards based on the down and distance to keep you ahead of the sticks? The only two guys worse than him, Baker Mayfield and Daniel Jones right now. Wow. That, That's that, really interesting. Last year, he was number one in that metric, a 52% success rate. Last week in the red zone, he was one of five in passing attempts. He took two sacks, had a 14% success rate and a 39 passer rating. So the lack of their ability to have a run game, I also tweeted this out. That's, that was pretty interesting. Inside the – everybody's glossed over the fact that the Kansas City Chiefs don't really have like a, a, a workhorse running back, right? They had Kareem Hunt last year. Right. We're getting by at the end of the year without Kareem Hunt. They don't have a lot of confidence in their running back. They've got the number one pass rate in the NFL. But look at this. They had 17 plays inside the Colts' 45-yard line in that game in Sunday night. 17 yeah. plays. Guess how many running back runs they had? I'm going to go with oh, running zero. back runs. 16 passes, and they had a Mecole Hardman, I think, a jet sweep play. Zero running back runs. I mean, that's unheard of. You're inside the other team's 45, and you don't run the ball a single time with a running back. Running is most efficient inside the red zone, down near the goal line. Spread out the defense, run the ball on them. That's where running is most efficient. Running is not efficient you know, at your 20, 30, 40 yard line unless it's short yardage situations. Generally speaking, you're going to have more efficiency passing the ball. So I think the loss of the running back is a factor. Now, do I think these trends continue? Do I think Patrick Mahomes struggles all season long inside the red zone and ranks only ahead of Baker Mayfield and Daniel Jones? I'm not not an idiot. I obviously think that that's going to regress to the mean. Did you just say you're not an idiot? Is that what you said? In this particular case. (laughs) No, I love that. I love that. Maybe so. But in this particular case, I can see the writing on the wall. He is going to get better inside of the red zone. They are going to have more success. But it's surprising that they need that the run game is not doing as much as people thought. And that Andy Reid's relying so much on Patrick Mahomes right now. I I expect or I would hope that they eventually get that run game a little bit higher usage rate, especially down inside of the red zone. 
Well, then explain this to me because I have some trends that like everything is pointing Houston and it makes me want to bet Kansas City. Chiefs are three and six against the spread in their last nine games at home. Texans on their last eight row games, six and two straight up. Uh, a lot of the money line uh, is going on the Texans, as Ingber pointed out in these notes. Deshaun Watson is one of the few young quarterbacks whose statistics on the road are almost the same as they are at home. He does not change his performance. And this line. The look-ahead line was eight and a half for the Chiefs, and it's come all the way down to four and a half. And I I hear all of that, and I think about one coach and Andy Reid who usually can adapt, and one coach and Bill O'Brien that won't. Chiefs coming off of a loss, Texans coming off of a win. All of those things, in a weird way, make me want to go Kansas City here. I just don't know if I'm crazy. Well, I was just talking about how we need to incorporate a little bit more run game, especially with Patrick Mahomes. Let's take into consideration his health. He says that he's okay, but he was playing on a slightly gimpy ankle. Um, The Houston Texans ranked 10th against the run so far this year. They haven't really been tested. They've played the third easiest schedule of opposing rushing attacks. They ranked 10th. What were the Indianapolis Colts last week? The NFL's worst run defense. How did Oakland crush Indianapolis the week before? Remember, we pulled out the ups. They were running the ball on him. So if Andy Reid is not going to run the football against the worst run defense in the NFL last week, the Indianapolis Colts, I highly doubt he's going to start running the football against the Houston Texans at a rate that we would say, okay, this is a little bit normal. This makes a little bit more sense. So I'm going to be interested to see what Andy Reid does. I think he's probably still going to be similarly pass heavy in this game, and it's going to be up to Uh, the efficiency of Patrick Mahomes and is his ankle healthy to allow him to move around in the pocket. Question for you, and I hate asking you things to look up during the show. In terms of what rate does Houston play man defense and zone defense? Uh, the, The reason I bring this up, and I'll talk if you want to look it up, is Indy played a lot of zone, but they were able with Frank Reich because they saw with Patricia, because they saw with Bill Belichick last year, this blueprint of playing man to man against the Chiefs offense. Uh, they came out and adjusted and played a lot of man. I'm curious with Romeo Cornell and Bill O'Brien and the Houston Texans, are they more of a zone team, which which Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs have had a lot of success against? Are they a lot of man? And and would you expect them to adjust? Uh, did I give you enough time there? No, I got I to gotta open up uh, a file. Okay. I've got all this stuff tracked. So we'll double back to this before okay. we show but is that something that you were paying attention to because that's now that's like the big thing that i'm looking at for the teams that face the chiefs right and the problem is we know how much abraflus and the colts are open to adapting the issue and the question that you're having is is an astute one we don't think that the houston texans are going to adapt quite as much so by nature where do they rank in terms of the usage of man so i'll i'll pull that and and look it up here while we keep going through this Okay, because I was going to switch over to San Francisco LA Rams. Do you want to do yeah. that or okay? Um, so four o'clock, 49ers Rams. Uh, this is a game. 49ers coming off of an absolute drubbing of the Cleveland Browns, a 28 point win in which it was a loss that Hugh Jackson never even suffered with the Browns. A lot of people questioning Freddie Kitchens right now, but San Francisco, we did talk about this earlier. They do not have either starting tackle in McGlinchey or in Staley. They just lost Kyle Juszczyk, and they're facing a Rams team that is coming off 
I, I don't think it's the first back-to-back loss of, of the Sean McVay era, but I wouldn't be surprised if it was. Uh, they go out there, and it's an absolute public embarrassment uh, at the hands of the Bucks. Come back, and they get into a shootout with the Seattle Seahawks. Russell Wilson is just too freaking good. He's able to get that win, and the Rams now, with 10 days rest, are taking on a Niners team with six days rest, but this has always been a game between Rams and Niners that has seemingly been high score. And I know the one thing that you focused on is McVay with extra time to prepare. It is a juicy little nugget that Warren has prepared for you. So what do you got here? Yeah, I think it's definitely a factor in this game. Uh, When Sean McVay plays a team that is coached by humans as opposed to the cyborg Bill Belichick, right? <laughs> Bill Belichick's on a completely other level. So you kind of have to scrape him out of this. Obviously, Sean McVay got outcoached. He'll be the first to admit that in the Super Bowl and struggled tremendously there. But with extra time to prepare against humans, Sean McVay is 10-0 and straight up, 8-1-1 and against the spread. His offenses score 37 points per game. And He's incredible. And this includes all scenarios of extra time to prepare, which is what's important to look at. Week one, obviously you have extra time to prepare. When you play after a Thursday night game, which is what he's doing here, you have extra time to prepare. If you're coming off of a bye week, you have extra time to prepare, even including games where he's playing on Monday night, which gives the coaches, because no teams play back-to-back Monday night games, so you're going to be playing at least on a Sunday before that, you have an extra day to prepare. Right. all included in this as well. He's been unbelievably good. Uh, he's going to need to be unbelievably good in this spot as well against a very good 49ers team. And I just can't wait to see the coordinators and uh, the offensive coaches, head coaches who were former coordinators and friends who know each other from that perspective, but are running the offenses and calling the plays themselves of their respected teams. Like, I hope that it's going to results in some fireworks is going to be a lot of fun to watch. And to, to give you a little bit of insight into the humans that are these play callers, Sean McVay and Kyle Shanahan coached a long time together. They were in Tampa together. They were in Washington together, different stages in their life. I need everyone to know that the competition between these two is fucking real. When I tell you that I know that Kyle saw all the praise that Sean McVay got and has and had to wait that much. The fact that Sean McVay got the head coaching job before Kyle Shanahan did is something that sits with him to this day. The fact that Sean McVay was praised as a guy for a very long time and that anyone that touched Sean McVay got a coaching job when all of those other coaches came from the Mike Shanahan coaching tree sits with Kyle Shanahan. There's a reason that no matter who Kyle Shanahan has had at quarterback, whether it's that kid from Iowa or any, like whether it's Beathard or uh, the other guy they had last year, that he's been able to hang up points. Thank you, Nick Mullins. Been able to hang up points on Wade Phillips and this Rams defense every single year. This is a game that even though Kyle's going to have short days, even though he's going to have no fullback and two tackles, that I know Kyle Shanahan is coming out there and going, I don't need to just score. I need to score a lot. This is a game with extra motivation for these coaches, Warren. Big time. Yeah, I love it. I can't wait to see it unfold. Um, we've talked earlier about the loss of Kyle Juszczyk and how I think that that's a, a pretty big factor 
But what is Kyle Shanahan able to do to scheme around that loss in this particular game? Um, there's a lot of things to look at here. I think that there's a great opportunity for both of these offenses. I'm really still wondering, what is this uh, L.A. Rams defense right now? You know, this L.A. Rams defense, if you look at who they are and what they who they've played so far this season, it raises a lot of questions in my mind from a from a efficiency perspective of some of these offenses. Week one, they play Cam Newton. We know Cam Newton is not was not healthy. He admitted as such. Week two, they get Teddy Bridgewater for most of that game. Week three, they get Baker Mayfield, who was using too much 11 personnel and Freddie Kitchens hadn't tried to figure out his offense enough. And that was that play where they ran four plays down there to try to score the touchdown at the very end of the game to tie it up at 20 apiece. And they couldn't get done because of their offensive play calling. Those three games, like those are not the same level of offenses that San Francisco is going to bring to the table. When they played the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, they allowed 55 points. Granted, some of those defensively yep. short field because of Jared Goff. Last week, they played the Seattle Seahawks. They allowed 30 points in that game. The Rams' defense has given up 10.1 yards per attempt over the last two weeks with a 58% success rate and a 9-to-1 touchdown-to-interception ratio. That's what this Rams' defense is allowing. Um, so I think there will be opportunities for San Francisco's offense to have some success passing the ball, and they're going to need to because of the fact that they're going to probably not run the football quite as much as my uh, guess based upon the loss of Juszczyk and McClinchy, who's just a demon in the run game. He is so good in the run game. That is that is my one thing. The, the one thing that I will note is teams that have had success against the Rams have run to the outside. Ronald Jones ran to the outside. Alvin Kamara ran to the outside. Because you're really just trapping Aaron Donald in there. The thing with Aaron Donald against a zone blocking scheme like this is oftentimes he loves to penetrate. Oh, you guys are trying to get us to all go to the outside. I'm going to go right into the backfield and try and get it at that match point between Garoppolo and Breed or Garoppolo and Mostert. It's it's going to be a wild game to watch. It really is an exciting game. I'm very excited about it. Did you were you able to find stuff with the the Houston uh, zone defense pass defense before I start kind of going through what I think my picks are going to be? Yeah, definitely. So so far this season, um, the Houston Texans. When we remove uh, the screen game, when we remove like passes on screens, which really uh, coverage doesn't matter, they are 30% man coverage and well above that, obviously, for zone coverage, right around 65% zone coverage. That's year to date. Now, against man coverage, they are allowing 8.3 yards per attempt, six touchdowns, one interception. Wow. And they only have a 4.6% sack rate, which is really low. So the Houston Texans uh, do Even not. Even if they want to go man, they're so bad with man. That's interesting. Yeah. So far this season, they've been very bad at man coverage. One of the uh, worst teams in the NFL from that perspective. Um, and, and typically, you know, your sack rate's going to be higher than what theirs is as well. So they're struggling to get after the quarterback. That's one of the benefits of going man, right? You, you go man and you, you, it's harder for the receiver to sit down in the, in the space and you have more guys potentially to rush the quarterback. Um, and their sack rate's just not very good there. So I wanted to pull up the, the specific numbers from one of my, uh, models here to share. And, uh, no, that's great. It, it it makes me. I think I'm going to make Kansas City one of my picks. I'll, I'll just start off with that. I think it's 
it's a beautiful bounce back game for them in Houston. And, and I, I kind of look at that situation and I know there's been no correlation in terms of the lines getting smaller and whether or not the favorites cover, but to get an eight and a half point team down to four and a half with all that, I think I'm going to make that one of my picks. Uh, I believe that I'm also going to make, um, uh, I really like the overreaction swing in the Denver-Tennessee game. I look at Denver going from a one-point favorite to a two-point favorite. They get their first win of the year. Tennessee loses uh, to Buffalo. And I just I circled them and I said, man, Tennessee missed four field goals in that game. And I, I think Tennessee could do well on the road. That's a team that I'm circling. Uh, another team that I think this is kind of crazy and I might be dumb Washington went from a six and a half point favorite to a three and a half point favorite over Miami. We know what our buy rules were. This is Miami at home after a buy. Two things. One of them is serious. One of them is a joke. Serious. Do we really think this Dolphins team was watching film and trying to get better this week? I think those guys were probably not in the facility and were trying to get the hell away. Also, it was Yom Kippur, and if Josh Rosen didn't eat because he was fasting on Wednesday, his nutrition could be down. That is a joke, but it is also serious. Your eyebrows went up, which is exciting. But, like, as a friend, should I be betting on Washington, Miami? <laughs> I can tell you that the there is sharp money that has come in on the Miami Dolphins, backing them Ugh. in the spot. I will also add that, typically speaking, um, much like players uh, rally around an injured quarterback that first week, sometimes the same thing happens when a coach gets fired. And, you know, maybe there were guys on the Redskins who weren't that happy with Jay Gruden, and those guys will come back and, uh, you know, be a little bit more happy and willing to play for Callahan. I mean, Callahan is a good coach from an ability to coach up offensive line and run plays and things of that nature. Like that's what his forte was. Yeah. He is a dinosaur in the age of being intelligent about what wins games. I mean, I've been retweeting some of this stuff ever since he got put into this position and talks about, well, we're not running the ball enough. So that's why we're losing. Well, you, you dummy, you guys are running the ball at the fourth highest rate of any team in the NFL on first down. Are you not looking at the actual numbers of your team? You are trying to run the football on first down, but you're not having any success. And so you're faced with the fourth longest yards to go on third down in these first half plays. So you're running a lot. It's not working. And a reporter asked him, well, why don't you try to do a little bit? Why would you want to run the ball more, as you're suggesting, when it hasn't worked for you to date? And his response is, well, there's been some flashes and it could work better. And we just need to wear down the other team better and all these different types of things. The yeah. bottom line is maybe that works against the Miami Dolphins this week. That is not the way you win games in 2019 or 2020. Yeah. And so I don't know what we're going to get out of Callahan, really. I think the one thing we know is more Adrian Peterson runs. So if you want to watch Adrian Peterson in the twilight of his career run the football down in South Florida, you want to tune into this game. <laughs> That was such a good burn. Uh, let me just say one other thing, and then we're going to call crack, is uh, the line change thing that I've been focusing on, teams that jump up a point and a half, uh, they are now 2-10 and ten covering. Kansas City did not cover. Uh, I also want to say that New England and Philly both covered, but I, I'm, I'm just – 
these these I'm not including the double digit lines where they play Washington or the Jets. Like it's just I'm looking at the ones in the middle and the the two instances this week. Carolina goes from one to two and a half against Tampa Bay. That's a little juicy to me. Uh, and then the other one is Baltimore going eight and a half to eleven against Cincinnati at home. And you just told me that Baltimore is thirty second in defensive early down success rate. The question that I have for myself there is: Am I really going to bet on this? Cincinnati offensive line, which is like my least favorite unit in the NFL. Uh, but again, it's a Baltimore defense that doesn't get a lot of sacks. So uh, I think this time, instead of telling crack my picks, I'm going to ask him to help me maybe lean a certain way here. And then uh, again, I'm going to make my picks on at Adam Lefko uh, and I'll make sure that I get it out Saturday, but Baltimore, Car- Baltimore or Cincinnati and Tampa Bay. Uh, it's tough, bro. Cincinnati is definitely the sharp side of that game. Uh, Baltimore is inflated because of how bad Cincinnati Cincinnati has looked. I just I don't know what Zach Taylor is I doing. Know. They know. play Taylor, so the Zach Taylor element is uh, a little bit frustrating. And you also have like the the Andy Dalton element here uh, playing in as well. But um, I don't see how you could possibly lay Baltimore in this spot. No the only way. Look is the Cincinnati Bengals. All right, let's uh, let's call Crack, uh, and we'll get him on there because this is going to be the first time where I really don't have my five. I do like Tennessee. I do think I'm leading Kansas City. I mean, I'm over here, and uh, I, mean, I, I kind of like Detroit a little bit, um, but we're not really sure on all these. I think I hear Crack. Is that Crack? Hey what's up? Hey, what's going on, guys? How are you, bro? Sorry about calling you late. No, I'm not doing nothing. <laughs> Sitting in the parking lot. All right, so 16-8-1 crack, a 2-2-1 week for me last week. Uh, how, what, am I doing okay? Doing real good. Okay. You me? 16-8? I mean, who couldn't? Uh, seriously, I mean, you're in the top, uh, you know, you're in the top 25 percentile. Top 20 percent. We'll stay there. Let's keep doing it. So this week, instead of giving you my five, because I, I have a lot of things up in the air and because they're getting a lot more injured, I'm going to be reading a lot of stuff tomorrow as the injury reports come out. But I'm curious, yep. like, let's start off with you. Is there is there any picks that you're looking at or sides right now uh, that you're feeling really strong about or convinced about that um, you think would be a good recommendation? I haven't really asked you that this way before. You know, I, everyone, I, I'm trying to find someone that doesn't like the Patriots. I hate to give a Thursday game. As a matter of fact, I probably won't put this uh, the Giants on, on, on this game because I probably won't, won't put the Giants on here because it's Thursday. That makes, that makes it harder because I, we, we could submit these up until tomorrow night at 11 p.m. And, and you know, you, you never know what can happen in 36 hours. Right. So, but I, I, if the Giants-New England was occurring on a Sunday, I'd probably – uh, look to the Giants a little bit. Uh, that's one. Um, there's some other ones that I, I actually wrote down uh, a list of, of games here, which, which uh, there's, there's some, you know, you have to go by the lines too. So if there's a minus three on some games and it's kind of like head, you know, going to a three and a half, I have to look at the mathematical value at a team like Minnesota when it's three, when it's three minus 20 and all the sharper books. Um, I, I know that, that's uh, yeah, that, I, not that not that it's your Philly team because you you've actually went against Philly, I believe. Also, you think yes, a lot. One week, I like to bet against so, Philly. Yeah, so so you could so so you can actually go against them. I understand. Uh, so I'm looking at Minnesota. Yeah, uh, as one of my picks, 
I'm looking at Jacksonville because everyone loves New Orleans, it seemed like. Uh, they are, how can there be a – now they're a one-point, one-and-a-half-point dog. I have a bad uh, relationship okay, with them, Crack. I've lost, oh, I've yeah. lost betting against yeah. the Saints the last three weeks. They're, my, uh, they're my, my white whale, bro. Yeah, that's your kryptonite. I yeah. know. Um, no, I, I, I noticed that. Uh, that you have been on that game. But that's they're just the ones I'm kind of looking at now. Okay. Again, these are contest picks, not bets. Uh, I, I think that Dallas can uh, also, even though they're in New York and even though Darnold's coming back, I think Dallas might be able to blow away the Jets after losing two in a row and maybe looking for a big game. That's a good one that uh, I, I have know, not I even looked at. Back, but yeah, so they're the kind of things I'm looking at, but I – Nothing is in. Nothing is uh, written down in stone. Now, what have you actually looked at? Like, you had to look at something. You had to think of something. Oh, the ones that I really like. Um, I I I love the the Tennessee. Uh, I think that I look at Denver and how they've been overrated and Tennessee being underrated. Uh, I have my eyes on Kansas City. I think it's a really nice back bounce-back game against a, a dumb coach. I, too, wrote down Minnesota. Uh, I, I kind of like Detroit on Monday Night Football, but, again, I need more injury reports for that one, and Aaron Rodgers is scary. And then I'm also a psychopath, and I circled Cincinnati uh, because I think there's oh, wow. value hey, there. Okay. It's a lot yeah. of points. There's a lot of points. It's a lot Cincinnati of points. Games, so uh, yeah, you know what? In the Tennessee Denver game too. Yeah. That game, you're right. Tennessee's been like a roller coaster this year. It seems like they maybe they scored seven points last week, and and Denver had that nice win last week. Uh, Tennessee, all betters, all betters know this. There are certain teams that every week they look like a different team, and in the media they go, "Who is this team?" But as a better, you're like, it's almost like double dutch, where you're like, if I can figure out their bounce back flow, I can ride this for like six weeks, and you don't know when it's going to end. But Tennessee right now is fucking double dutch. Right, 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 right. And uh, you mentioned KC too. That line opened six and a half. A lot of Houston backers out there. It's down to four even, which means that you're actually have to lay some money on Houston out here in Vegas. Um, so I, I uh, that that should be that's going to be the game of the week. That will oh, be yeah. one of the games of the week, I think. Yeah, uh, for everybody be, except for Bears fans that are watching quarterbacks that are that were taken uh, below Mitchell Trubisky. Uh, Crack, I will text you, my man. Uh, but thank you Good, as always great. for being the best proxy in the game. Thank you, guys. Thanks for calling. Appreciate it. All right, man. Talk soon. Um, and as always, uh, my man Crack, much like Warren has sharpfootballanalysis.com, uh, Crack has Crack Wins, the Crack Wins app. Uh, check it out. He does his picks, and we like to support good motherfuckers in this industry, and Crack is one of the good motherfuckers. Uh, Warren, as you heard Crack say all those things, anything stick out to you from what he said? No, um, not really, but the Minnesota angle, certainly, I can see that. Um, it's, it's a tough game. I personally won't be on a side in that game, but um, I, I could see why uh, them playing at home is such an advantage in sure. only three when this line could move up to three and a half. We'll give you some edge in your contest picks. Um, yeah, and, and he agreed with your sentiment on the Cincinnati Bengals. And yeah. I, echoed that as well just it's a lot of points it's in an inflated number 
All right. So a few things. One, go to Sharp Football Analysis. I know a few of you guys hit me up in the DMs and said that you've really appreciated uh, the picks. um, And Warren's website is really phenomenal. Also, focus on Warren on Twitter, at Sharp Football, if you haven't already followed him already. Friday and Saturday, he drops a lot of nuggets leading up to the game, whether it's line movements or once Warren gives out some of his official picks on his website, he starts kind of putting it out a little bit there. So definitely uh, keep, keep an eye out for that. Uh, and then Saturday at 11, uh, I'm probably going to tweet out on my own personal at Adam Lefko what my five picks will be, because this is the first week where I really don't know where I'm going. It's a great board. And so I don't have to take Cincinnati. I don't have to take Jacksonville, but there's value in a lot of games. So I kind of want to wait to the last moment this week. Are you are you let me ask you this. I'll ask the questions here now. Oh, are nice. you scared? Are you scared a little bit because you've had a lot of success but you've entered these weekends where you have a little bit better idea of identifying spots that you want to take early in the week. You've got probably like two spots that you're really convicted on and probably about like seven or so that you're not really sure about, you don't love, so they're kind of in the middle ground there. Does it make you more concerned as a, as a guy doing this contest? No, it actually, I actually feel more confident because what I did last week is I looked after I went to two and one and I looked at my left co leans. So I wrote down like eight teams or it was nine games that I was leaning towards. And I went, I went six, two and one. And so I just happened to pick the three, three of the sides. So for me, it's, um, when I watch the games and I think you're like this Warren too, I get upset about the results but I care more about whether I was on the right side. And so thus far, I've been on a lot of the right sides. And so I feel confident with that. Um, I think that this is a week where the injury reports are going to sway me more than anything, because I think now that we're in week six and it's stuff like losing a Kyle use check, that makes me look a little bit more at the Rams that it's these injuries. And also, Um, I also think the lines are going to move a lot in the next two days. So I want to see where I'm getting more value at in a contest like this by a Friday night or a Saturday morning, but we will update everybody on social. Uh, Anything else before we go, Warren? No, there's are, there are a lot of short numbers on the board. A lot of games that are lined inside a touchdown, a lot of games that are lined right around three. And so you're absolutely right. We probably will see, some some movement because once you get to a certain threshold, then that three could easily become three and a half and start to snowball to four, four and a half, et cetera. Right. So expect some movement here. And that's why it's a good opportunity to wait as long as you can this week for your selections and and just see where you can find extra point or two of value someplace. Yeah. And like Crack said, don't bet Thursday night football. I mean, who the fuck knows what's going to happen on Thursday? I just don't get it. I, I, I have not, I haven't bet on Thursday night football in like a year and a half. I just hate it. Um, but I don't know if Warren agrees with that or not. I, I found a spot a couple weeks ago on the Philadelphia Eagles team total. Over you did I, like that. You did like that. All right. I've steered away from Thursday night as well. Warren, you are the fucking man. Uh, keep kicking ass. Follow him on Twitter. Follow his website. Let's listen to this money sound because this is what all the Lefko Show listeners will have washing over them come Monday morning. Everybody, be well. L-E-F-K-O-E, man, saying peace out. Good luck. Be smart. Enjoy the games. Warren Sharp, you are the fucking man. We'll holler at you guys later. <laughs>